Welcome to the Harmony Christian Church Podcast. We hope you're encouraged by today's message from Pastor Josh Shoemaker. Last week, uh, we talked a little bit about uh, a scene from the Gospels uh, post-resurrection. And uh, I want to pull another one of those stories here with you this morning. Um, So Jesus has died, he's been buried, he's been risen from the dead, amen? And, uh, and now he's, he's making different appearances to the disciples and the apostles. And so here's one of those uh, stories here in John chapter 21. So if you have your Bibles, open them up with me there to John chapter 21. We're going to start in verse 1. If you have your Bibles and you're there, give me a woot woot this morning. Nice, all right. If you're not there, um, hurry up. Here we go. Verse 1, after these things, Jesus showed himself again to the disciples at the Sea of Tiberias, and in this way he showed himself. Simon Peter, Thomas, called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana and Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two other of his disciples were together. Simon Peter said to them, I'm going fishing. Then they said to him, we are going with you also. They went out and immediately got into the boat, and that night they caught nothing. And when the morning had come, Jesus stood on the shore, yet the disciples did not know it was Jesus. Then Jesus said to them, children, have you any food? And they answered him, no. And he said to them, cast your nets on the right side of the boat, and you will find some. So they cast, and so they cast, and now they were not able to draw it in because of the multitude of fish. Does that story sound familiar to anybody? Therefore, the disciple whom Jesus loved, who wrote this particular book, how do you like that? He titled himself the disciple whom Jesus loved, a humble man. John was. The disciple whom Jesus loved, now I've lost my place. Therefore, the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, it is the Lord. Now when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, for he had removed it, and he had plunged it into the sea. But the other disciples came in a little boat, for they were not far from land, but about 200 cubics, dragging the net with fish. Then as soon as they had come to the land, they saw a fire of coals there, and fish laid on it and bread. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish which you have just caught. Simon Peter went up and dragged the net to the land, full of large fish, 153. And although there were so many, the net was not broken." Jesus said to them, come and eat breakfast. Yet none of the disciples dared ask, who are you? Knowing it was the Lord. Jesus then came and took the bread and gave it to them and likewise the fish. This is now the third time Jesus showed himself to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. Just a few more verses here, so stay with me. Verse 15, so when they had eaten breakfast... Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know it, that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him again a second time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him a third time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? 
Peter was grieved because he said this to him a third time. Do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Father, we just thank you for your presence here again this morning. God, I pray that your word would be in all of us as a fire shut up in our bones today. God, we pray that, that as, as we hear the word brought forth today, God, that you would convict our hearts and you would draw us closer to yourself through your mercy and your kindness. We honor you today. In Jesus' holy name we pray. Amen. In verse 3, Jesus, or Peter makes this statement. He says, I'm going fishing. Now we know that because John tells us later that at this point, the disciples have already had two encounters with Jesus. So they know Jesus has been risen from the dead. They've seen him. They've actually even eaten meals with him by this point. So they know Jesus is resurrected from the dead. They've heard the stories of Mary, the mother of Jesus, Mary Magdalene and Joanna, how they had seen the angel in the empty tomb. The angel told them uh, that Jesus was resurrected. They told them to tell the disciples to go to Galilee, which is why the disciples are in Galilee here in this story. They heard Mary Magdalene's account of seeing Jesus. She was the first person to see the resurrected Jesus. They heard her account of seeing Jesus. So they're very aware that Jesus has been resurrected from the dead. They are also, at this point, wanted men. It tells us in Matthew that the Pharisees, the religious leaders, had um, bribed the Roman guards who were guarding the tomb to, to start spreading the rumor that the disciples had come in the night and stolen the body of Jesus. So now the Rome, Romans are on the lookout for the disciples because they're grave robbers, right? So they're wanted men, and Jesus has just been resurrected. And what does Peter do? He says, guys, let's go fishing. Seems like kind of an inappropriate time to go fishing, doesn't it? Right? I don't know, maybe he heard a Garth Brooks song about fishing and decided, hey, that sounds like a good idea. I don't even know if Garth Brooks writes fishing songs, but he's the only country star I know, so... I don't know, he, but he decides, let's go fishing. What I want to point out to you first of all here this morning is this, that Peter, really all of the disciples, but especially Peter, is in a place of a being unsettled. He is stir crazy. He is unsettled. He's confused at what's going on. You can look out through, or you can study throughout the whole New Testament, the disciples never really fully understood what Jesus was doing, right? Even at this point, after Jesus was resurrected, they still didn't know what he was doing. You can look throughout the New Testament and see where this entire time the disciples thought that now was the time that Jesus was going to come, overthrow Rome, and restore Israel to her former glory. They didn't think that was something that was gonna happen in the future. They didn't think that, was some, that Jesus was ever going to leave they thought that this was going to happen now. When they heard the kingdom of God is at hand, they thought Caesar was about to be overthrown. And no matter how many times Jesus told them, guys, I'm going to die, and then I'm going to raise from the dead, it's like they didn't even hear it because in their minds, they were still thinking of a conquest, of, a, of an overthrow of government. So much so that... that that, uh, well, that even after Jesus dies and is resurrected from the dead, right? 
Jesus is about to ascend into heaven, and what did the disciples ask him? Is now the time that we're going to conquer, it, conquer Rome? Is now the time that you're going to restore Israel? They're still thinking that. They, they, they go through this confusion state of, of Jesus is going to conquer Rome. He's going to do all of these things. Then Jesus dies. He's buried. They don't know what to do now. Jesus is now resurrected, and they're still thinking that that's what's going to happen. What better, you know, it was, one, it was already good that there was a Messiah, but now how much better is there now that there's a resurrected Messiah to storm Rome, right? That'll make them wet their pants, right? He, wait, we just killed this guy, and now he's coming. So they're excited thinking that this is going to happen, and Jesus, Jesus tells them that now's not the time for that, right? Right? And so there's lots of confusion happening within the disciples at this time. And then in the midst of all of that confusion, there's Peter's story. Peter's dealing with his own weight, isn't he? Before Jesus died, the night that he was betrayed, Jesus sat with his disciples at the first communion supper. And Jesus looks at them and he tells them that tonight my sheep are going to be scattered. That, that you will all abandon me. And Peter looks at him and he says this in Matthew. Matthew chapter 26, he says, even, Peter says this to Jesus, even if all are made to stumble because of you, I will never be made to stumble. Jesus looks at him and he says, Peter, on this night, Right before the rooster crows, I'm telling you, Peter, you're going to deny me three times tonight. Later that night, Jesus is taken, he's betrayed by Judas. He's taken to the high priest's house to be put on trial. Peter and James, the Bible tells us, follow Jesus and the, the entourage to the high priest's house. And because John has a, uh, his family is well known within the community, he's able to get into the courtyard where Jesus is being tried and Peter was able to come in with him. It was a cold night that night and so there was a fire going in the courtyard and Peter goes over by the fire and begins to warm himself. And it was there by that fire that Peter made the biggest mistake of his life. It was there by that fire that Peter was asked three times if he knew Jesus, if he was with Jesus, and three times Peter tells the people no. And one time he does it with an oath. No, I don't know this man. And there by that fire, Peter makes the biggest mistake of his life denying Jesus. He failed miserably right there by that fire. The rooster crowed the third time just right after he says that he didn't know Jesus. And one gospel writer tells us that, that at the moment the rooster crowed, the eyes of Jesus meets and locks with the eyes of, John, or of, of Peter. The moment he denied Jesus for the third time, their eyes meet. And the Bible tells us that Peter was so overcome with guilt, was so overcome with condemnation that he ran from the, court, from the courtyard weeping. And now, 
Jesus has risen from the dead. But Peter still doesn't know where he stands with Jesus. He still doesn't know how Jesus feels about him or thinks about his denying him three different times. So we have this unsettledness in Peter. They, they, the plan didn't, the, their, their plan didn't go as planned, right? So they're all mixed up with that. But now Peter is also carrying this weight of knowing that he has denied Jesus three times. He's abandoned and betrayed Jesus and met eyes with him and looked him in the eye when he did it. And now Jesus is risen from the dead and he doesn't know what to do. So Jesus tells them to go to Galilee, right? He tells them to go to Galilee and wait for, them, wait for him to appear to them there. So they go to Galilee. They don't know why they're there. They don't know what to do other than just to sit there and wait for Jesus to come. Something that Peter is terrible at. He's stir crazy. He's confused. He's, he's uptight. He doesn't know what to do. So what does he do? Let's grab the nets, boys. Let's go fishing. Why does he go fishing? He goes fishing because it's familiar. He goes fishing because he grew up his whole life on those waters, those exact waters actually there in Galilee. He knows those waters. He knows what the fish think about him. He knows where he stands with them. And so in a moment of being unsettled, he returns to something that is familiar. Only one problem with that. He was called to be a fisher of men. So in a moment of unsettledness, Peter returns to something that Jesus called him out of. And now there's nothing intrinsically wrong with fishing, right? There's nothing wrong with fishing. It's just that Peter was not supposed to be doing that right now. It's just that, that he was not supposed to be there in that moment. So there's nothing wrong with fishing. It's just not where he was supposed to be in that moment. But it's amazing let me say this. He's not supposed to be there in that moment. Think about what's happening. Jesus is resurrected from the dead. They have seen him two times already. Fishing should be the last thing on his mind, shouldn't it? This is an exciting moment, an exciting time, right? Let's wait for Jesus to appear to us again. But instead, he goes fishing. It's amazing how fear, guilt, confusion, and self-condemnation can cripple you, isn't it? In a moment where you should be looking forward, Jesus is resurrected from the dead. In a moment where you should be looking forward, guilt and unworthiness pushes you backwards. In a moment where they should be celebrating, Jesus has risen from the dead, right? Even if the plan was to go conquer Rome, now's the moment to go do it. Let's look forward. Let's, let's, let's pursue what's ahead. But instead, Peter is returning to what's familiar because he's uncomfortable and he's unsettled. And his self-guilt and condemnation has crippled him and caused him to go backwards when he should be moving forwards. But aren't you glad that in God's beautiful mercy, he won't let us be productive until we tune our ear to his voice again. 
he goes fishing with the boys. The Bible tells us that they're unproductive. They catch nothing, right? It's one, of the, one guy, I don't know a lot about fish, fishing, but I know somebody who does, and he said there's, there's one difference between a pro fisherman and an amateur. And it's not that they have a nicer boat, right? The difference between a pro fisherman and an amateur is that the pro knows how to catch the fish when they're not biting. Right, Terry? Where's Terry at? The pro knows how to catch a fish. He's a pro right here. <laughs> the pro knows how to catch fish when they're not biting. Right? Peter, who has probably been uh, trained generationally how to fish, is in the boat. James and John, the sons of Zebedee, the sons of thunder, are in a boat. So we know there's at least three professional fishermen in the boat. They're not just professional fishermen. They're professional fishermen. Say that three times. Professional fishermen on those waters in Galilee. They should have been able to catch fish. But they were unsuccessful. And it's the mercy of God that they were unsuccessful. It's the mercy of God that he doesn't allow us to be productive when we are not following his voice. But then, the Bible tells us they were unproductive all night. And then in verse five, they hear a voice shout out from the shore. And he says, children, have you any food? Other translations say, children, have you any meat? And I love this question. What is Jesus doing here? Children, have you any food? How is this working for you? How's this going for you? Often the Father will make you come to terms with your unproductive toil. Have you any meat? It's almost sarcastic, isn't it? Hey, boys, how's it going out there? And a lot of times we spend so much effort within, within our own strength trying to earn our own righteousness, trying to, trying to be holy and live holy without sin, without the power of the Holy Spirit. We're just trying to do it on our own. But by golly, I'm going to live holy no matter what, right? We try to do it in our own strength. Or we try to be successful in our own strength and we work and we toil and we sweat and we bleed all in our own strength. And there's sometimes that Jesus just comes to us and he goes, how is that working for you? How, how's it going? How, how is it wearing yourself out day after day, toiling and being unproductive in your toil? Do you have any meat? Do you have anything to show for all of this toil, all of this work? Do you have any meat? And then Jesus tells them something that makes absolutely zero sense. Zero sense. He says, they answer back, they say no. And then he says, here's what you do. You take your net from the right side of the boat and put it on the left. Try that. Now hold on a second. <laughs> he doesn't tell them to 
go deeper into the water, try a different spot. He doesn't say, hey, switch the bait up, right? Do some worms instead, right, or whatever. He doesn't, he doesn't tell them that. No, no, he says, take the net, move five feet to the other side of the boat, drop it in, give that a shot. Makes no sense whatsoever. They're, they're, they're barely moving uh, at all, right? There's almost no difference in all from what they were doing to what he told them to do. But it's amazing how productive you can be It's amazing how productive you can be when you take what you're doing and put his word on it. It's amazing how productive you can be when you take what you are doing and put his word on it. And here's my challenge to you this morning. Learn to only move on his word. Even when it doesn't make any sense to anyone else and see how productive you will be. Jesus tells people to do crazy things all the time. The father tells people to do crazy things all the time. He tells a group of fishermen, leave your family business. Leave all of that behind. Come follow me. This guy that nobody's ever heard of, you've met him one time, but you're gonna drop everything. Everything that you have built, everything your father built, everything your grandfather built. Leave it all behind to chase this man that you have just met. Makes no sense at all. Go dip in the water seven times and leprosy will just fall off your body. Let me rub a little bit of my spit in this mud and put it on your eyes and that's going to give you eyesight. You see, we often, we want Jesus to make sense, right? We want, we want the plan to be laid out before us and see steps A, B, C, D, right? But the Bible tells us in Psalms 1 that he is a lamp to our what? Feet. <laughs> he doesn't give us a lot of foresight. We walk by what? Faith and not by sight. There's going to be times that Jesus tells you to do something that seems absolutely ridiculous. Do it anyway. Do it anyways and see how productive you become. See what it produces in your life to do what he's called you to do. Amen? We did this in our own life. We had just gotten married. Amber and I had just gotten married. We had only been married a few months. Amber was in the middle of school to be, uh, to be a, uh, in finances. What were you doing? Finances? Yeah. <laughs> to be in finances. I was working full time, had a great job doing construction. Just got married. And we got, a, we, we, we saw this advertisement for a school in Alabama. Not, not like, not like Montgomery. Is Montgomery? Yeah, that's Alabama, right? Yeah, Montgomery. That's the capital. Yeah. Malachi's been doing states and capitals tests, so we've been studying. So I know him now, too. <laughs> Most of them. He got an A-plus, by the way. I'm just bragging on him. Got all 50 of them. But it wasn't, he didn't send us to Montgomery, right? He didn't send us to Birmingham. He sent us to Hamilton, Alabama, right? They got a Walmart barely, right? 
we pack up and we move on a word. And I want to tell you that it was one of the most productive seasons in our life, life transforming. I want to challenge you. Sometimes it's not going to make sense what the Holy Spirit is telling you to do. Do it anyways and see how productive you become. This is what it means when Jesus is telling Nicodemus about the people born of the Spirit. He says this about those born of the Spirit, that they are like the wind. You hear its sound, but you don't know where it comes from or where it's going. People of the Spirit learn how to follow the wind. And sometimes the wind doesn't make any sense, but you follow it anyways. Cast your net on the other side. Jesus, we've been doing this all night. Five feet isn't going to make a difference, but it's, it's not the action. It's his word that makes the difference. So they catch more fish. In fact, the Bible tells us the Bible tells us that, that it says they caught so many fish and then it makes this little statement that, that the nets didn't even break, which tells us that the nets should have broke, right? With that many fish, the nets should have broke. So they were extremely productive. As soon as they begin to pull into fish, John the Beloved, I love how it's the one who has beloved identity who recognizes Jesus when nobody else did. It was the one who knew how Jesus saw him that recognized who he was. So John tells Peter, he says, it's the Lord. And what does Peter do? He jumps in the water. He jumps into the water. Amen. Peter jumps in the water. And he, I love this idea. He swims away from what he had just spent all night working for. He swims away from, all night they were trying to catch fish. They finally catch fish, and what does he do? He jumps in the water and swims away from it and swims towards Jesus. His presence is better than anything else, isn't it? Jesus, we worked all night to catch these fish, but I'm going to leave them behind because you're on the shore. His presence is better than anything. And this is what I love about Peter. That even though he denied Jesus, even though he had turned his back on Jesus, and even though he was broken and unstable and confused, his response to Jesus on the shore is to jump in the water and swim towards him and not away. His response is to swim to Jesus, the one he betrayed not away from him. I'm convinced that Judas could have had the same moment of reconciliation that Peter is about to have. I'm convinced of it. That if Judas would have come to his senses and swam to Jesus, that he would have had a moment of reconciliation and forgiveness just like Peter did. His response, the Father's response to our failure was settled on the cross. It's our response to his mercy that either causes us to walk in that mercy or to swing from a tree. Both of them denied Jesus. Both of them turned their back on the Savior. One of them, when he realizes what he done, runs to a field and there dies. 
The other one, when he realizes what he has done, jumps in the water and swims to Jesus. His response to us doesn't change. It's our response to his mercy that determines whether or not we end up in his mercy or whether or not we end up swinging from a tree. I want to tell you something this morning. If you are where Peter is, in this moment, if you are unsettled, if you are wondering how Jesus feels about you this morning because of maybe sin in your life or maybe you have run from him or maybe you have turned your back on him, I want to tell you something, that if you swim towards him, you are not going to find an angry father. You are not going to find someone who's ready to condemn you. You are going to find mercy and love and grace and acceptance. How he feels about you was settled on the cross. You never have to wonder again. It was his love for you that put him on the cross. It was his love for you that put him on the cross. His answer for you and to you is settled. It's mercy. It's love. It's grace. And Peter jumps into water and swims to Jesus. I'm convinced as well. The reason he knew that is because when he saw Jesus there in the courtyard, when their eyes met, I'm convinced that he didn't see condemnation. He saw grace in his eyes. And Peter knew, I need to get back in his presence. I've got to swim towards him again. So Peter goes to Jesus on the shore, and he gets on the shore. He gets on the shore, and Jesus has a fire burning with fish already cooked on the fire. There's no question in my mind that John puts this detail in there on purpose. It was actually John who was with Peter and witnessed Peter's whole story the whole time. John was there the first time they met Jesus when he asked them to cast their nets on the other side and they had the miracle of the multitude of fish and Jesus, and Peter comes up to Jesus, and Jesus asks him to follow him. John was there in that moment. He was there in this moment with the miracle of the fish. John was there when Peter was warming himself by the fire in the, the high priest's courtyard, when he denied him three times in his greatest failure of his life. John was there for that moment, and John is now here for this moment, where now Peter is standing beside another fire. And John pins this little detail into the story. Both here by the fire on the shore of Galilee and by the fire in the courtyard of the high priest where Peter had his greatest failure, John was there. It's interesting to note this, that the word that's used here to describe the fire on the shore where Jesus is cooking fish, is used only one other time in Scripture. Guess where? It's used to describe the fire that Peter was warming himself by that night. So let's recap this scene for just a moment. The miracle of the multitude of fish is being replayed right before their eyes. It was the first miracle that Peter met and encountered Jesus, where he was called to follow Jesus. And now Peter is standing beside a fire, the same place where he denied Jesus the three times. Jesus has set the scene up absolutely 
perfectly to tell John one thing. And here's the one thing he tells John. I make all things new. (laughs) I make all things new. What do I mean? He was called on the Sea of Galilee with a multitude of fish. He felt like he lost that calling when he denied Jesus three times. And now Jesus calls him once again with the miracle of the multitude of fish on the Sea of Galilee. It was by a fire that Jesus, that he denied Jesus three times. And now it's by a fire once again where Jesus is now bringing him back in and redeeming his life. Not only that, he denied him how many times? Three. How many times does Jesus ask, John, ask Peter, do you love me? Three times. What's Jesus doing here in this moment? He's recasting the scene of all of Peter's greatest moments and his greatest failures. And he's saying that, Peter, I restore everything. Where you lost it is also where you're going to get redeemed. You denied me three times, so I'm going to give you three opportunities to restore your devotion to me. You think you lost your calling? Well, right here on the same sea, on the same shore, I'm going to reestablish your calling. And right here, Jesus tells Peter, I make all things new. You thought you lost it. You thought you weren't going to be able to get it back. You thought you were irredeemable. I've set up this entire scene to tell you, I make all things new. I make all things new. Most of us would have disqualified ourselves after a blunder of such great proportions. But Jesus looks at him and he says, Peter, feed my lambs. Feed my sheep. Peter, you're still the rock of my church. Peter, you still are following me. I still call you. I still choose you. Now shepherd my sheep. And Jesus restores Peter and makes all things new again. I want to leave you with one last thought this morning. When Peter gets to the shore... Jesus has some fish already cooking. And when the other disciples get to the shore, Jesus tells them, he says, hey, bring some of your fish over. The connotation is is that Jesus is going to have to cook more fish, right? Here's the thought. Jesus has prepared a meal, not for all of the other disciples too, but he had just enough for him and Peter. He had just enough for him and Peter telling me this, this whole episode, this whole scenario, this whole stage that has been set was set for one reason and it was for Peter. Kind of like when Jesus comes back in the room after he'd already seen all the disciples, Thomas happened to not be there, right? He comes back 
into the room, not for anybody else, but he looks Thomas right in the eye and he says, hey, Thomas, check out these scars. He came back in the room just for Thomas. And just like that, this whole scene has been set up. This whole production has been set up for one thing, and that is to restore Peter. And this is the difference between God and all of the other wannabes. They all expect you to come to them. But God pursues you. Even in your failure, even in your weakness, even when you have made the biggest blunder of your life, God doesn't wait for you to come to him. He seeks you out. He pursues you. I'm, I'm almost convinced that he told them to go to Galilee. Why? Because Galilee, again, was where they met Peter for the first time. Maybe he, goes, he sends them to Galilee just because he needs Peter to be on that shore of Galilee so that he can have this interaction with him. I want to tell you this morning that God is personal. The cross was personal. The resurrection of Jesus was personal. You were the joy that was set before him that made him endure the cross. And no matter where you're at in your life, no matter what kind of blunders you've had, no matter what kind of mess-ups you have, even if you're running from him right now in this moment, I want to tell you he will never stop pursuing you. He'll never stop pursuing you. He'll never stop coming after you. He'll never stop setting up moments and scenes just like this one, just so you can encounter him. Why? Because he loves you. God so loved the world that he gave his only son. That even while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us because of his great love for us. So right there on the shore of Galilee, Peter, after his biggest mistake, after being unsettled and not knowing where he stood with Jesus, he found out exactly what Jesus thought of him. I want to ask you this morning, what do you believe Jesus thinks about you? How do you feel that Jesus feels about you? And with that thought, you have two options. You can either run away to a field or you can jump in the water and swim too. Swim to him. Go to him and find the mercy and grace in his eyes. Let's go ahead and stand together this morning. Hallelujah. Let's pray together. Jesus, Father, we are so overwhelmed by your mercy and grace. Father, we are so overwhelmed that you are the redeemer. God, that you make all things new. God, wherever we have messed up in our lives, Jesus, I thank you that you don't hold us. God, you don't, you don't condemn us in those mistakes. But Father, instead, you have mercy and grace. And as we swim towards you, Jesus, God, we are met with mercy. We are met with forgiveness and restoration.
Holy Spirit, I pray that today that you would move on the hearts of those in this room. Father, those who may be listening later, Father, I pray that you would move on our hearts tonight. God, that if there's anybody who is wondering what you think about them, God, that today it would be settled in their hearts that you have nothing but mercy, love, and grace for them. God, and it is, that, it is your desire to make all things new in them once again. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. This morning, if, if maybe that's you this morning, if something's stirring in you, maybe you're in that moment where you don't know whether to run or whether to, to run to, run from or to run to, that I should encourage you today to make that decision to run to his arms. Run to the shore. Thank you, Jesus. Paul sings this this morning. I encourage you just to just to draw your attention to the Father this morning. If you need to come up to the front, you're more than welcome to do that. If you want to stay in your seat, you're welcome to do that. But let's just take a few moments this morning and allow the Holy Spirit to move on our hearts. Father, I pray that if there's any hearts here this morning that are unsettled, God, that are anxious, living in anxiousness, Father, I pray today that your peace 
would overwhelm them. Father, that your love would overwhelm them this morning. God, that it would settle any questions they have in their hearts. That it would settle any um, anxiousness that they have in them, Father. And today, as they leave this, this building, as they leave this place, Father, God, that they would leave with a calmness, Jesus. They would leave with a peace that surpasses understanding. And God, that they would leave with a joy that is full of glory, knowing this, that they are beloved. They are beloved. God, they don't, there won't be any wondering where they stand with you this morning, but God, that they would know who they are in you and they are loved with the same measure of love that the Father has for the Son, Jesus. Hallelujah. Jesus, we honor you in that today. God, we thank you that you do make all things new. We honor you today, Lord. In Jesus' holy name I pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast. For more messages like this or information about our church, please visit harmonychurchfamily.org.